Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Two voices, war inside our emotions. One says, I am an accepted person, acceptable, beloved by people around me, maybe my parents and God, and I belong in the universe. Another voice says, no one really loves me. My family and friends may pretend to care for me, but they're in it for the fun or for my success. And God even, I seriously doubt he really loves me. That is actually the crux of the matter. The negative voice, that number two voice, doubts the positive inner assurance of acceptance and the fear of rejection creeps in. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. We've always said The Leader's Notebook is about life, leadership, relationships, and faith. When that all becomes toxic, it all becomes toxic at the same time. It's very difficult to be successful in leadership and entirely toxic emotionally, relationally, and when that all happens, faith begins to be challenged. We've been talking about the five major toxins and the thrones on which they rest or out of which they flow, the the biblical therapy that brings all those thrones down and dries up the toxic rivers, and the goal of what God wants for us instead of that toxicity. It's all derives from my book, Courage to be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. I, I want you to have this book. I want those that you care about to have it. There are people that you know, and perhaps you, your own self, you're saying, I, I need to read this book. At the end of this podcast, someone is going to tell you how to get that book and how to get it for others, and I hope that you will. I've been thrilled with the response to this book, and I've been blessed by the response to these episodes of The Leader's Notebook that have been about inner healing. The number one variable in the healing of damaged emotions is not really faith. Faith is a variable, but it's not the number one variable. The number one variable is courage. The courage to face the truth, the courage to deal with it, the courage to get help, the courage to stay in the process of getting healing. And that courage can determine whether or not that inner toxicity that flows out of a life can be healed. What I'd want to deal with in today's episode, and if you haven't been able to hear the whole series, if you haven't gotten all of them, they're all archived. I hope you will go back. I hope you'll listen to everyone. And in the future, I hope you'll hear the rest of these teachings on healing of damaged emotions. But Today, I want to deal with the toxin of rejection. Rejection as a toxicity in life is actually one of the most apparent of all the toxins. I'm willing to bet that you know someone who acts in a certain way over and over and over again. At some point or another, the relationship may go along, okay, they're fine, they're fine at a certain level, and then at some point, some pattern of behavior, some action rises up and they do something 
that you've seen them do over and over and over again at some point in a relationship in order to ruin the relationship and force rejection. It's as though they have a a moment where they say, I want to prove that this person has rejected me. They are operating out of the toxin of rejection. In other words, at some point or another, when life and relationships seem to be going okay, that toxic flow of rejection inside of them rises up that inner voice that says, none of this is real. These people don't really love you. They don't really care about you. And so they act in a way to force those people to reject them so they kind of then can look at the universe and say, aha, see there, I knew I was rejected. They act in a way repetitively, chronically, to force and reinforce their own rejection. Let me uh, tell you about a young woman. We'll call her Janet. Janet had dropped out of college and forfeited a full gymnastic scholarship and a very possible berth on the Olympic team in gymnastics. She had plunged into depression. She dropped school, dropped out of college, lost her scholarship, certainly lost the possibility of an Olympic birth. She had no idea. When she finally came to me for counseling, she had no idea why she had left school or why her depression had deepened so dangerously. The only thing she knew for sure was that she could never do gymnastics again as long as she lived. She made that 100% clear. In fact, she was nearly hysterical when she made it clear. She said if her parents could not accept her decision about this, she couldn't care less. And she also was not only willing to do without gymnastics for the rest of her life, she was willing to do without them. As I begin to go back through the past, she said the gymnastics had been her own idea. At least it was her idea insofar as she was allowed to have any ideas of her own. Her parents were obsessively controlling. When she showed an early interest in gymnastics, which she did show that interest, and then displayed a pretty great talent for it, her parents, who loved her, cared about her, dove in headlong. They said, okay, now gymnastics are for you. They hired private coaches, private lessons. That was only the beginning. The entire family became absorbed. They attended every gymnastics meet. Her mother sat on the sidelines and watched every single lesson. Her father and siblings had to get in the car and drive to places where the gymnastics meets were. Of course, Janet appreciated the devotion, and the sacrifice was very real to her. Her parents were not wealthy people. They were marginal people. They were blue-collar folks. She also knew that she should be very grateful, and she was to a certain extent. Many of her friends expressed to her that they longed for parents who would take an interest in their activities, fathers who would go to their Little League games, mothers that would attend their dancing recitals. Yet at a certain point, two things began to haunt Janet deep, deep in her emotions. First, she was not sure if her parents were really about her as a person 
or were they about her success in gymnastics? That question haunted her deep within her mind. Second, she knew she wanted out of gymnastics, but she couldn't figure out how to tell them. All the money, the time, the lessons, the gym meets, all, all of it. What about all of that? She felt like she had gotten caught up in a lie, a huge lie that just got bigger and bigger until she couldn't get out of it. She couldn't think who to tell. Could she, after all that money, all that travel, all the expense and the energy and everything, all the blue ribbons and the, and the trophies and the excitement, how could she go to her parents and say, I want out of gymnastics? Two serious bouts with anorexia later. Her hair was falling out. Her hands began to shake uncontrollably when she went into the parking lot of the gym. When she finally showed up on her parents' doorstep, baggage in hand, a college dropout, she was finally ready for counseling. What she was facing was her deep fear of rejection. Janet had been the perfect child, obedient, submissive, intelligent, well-mannered, and successful in her chosen sport. The perfect child. Now all that was blown. Now what? Rejection is seated in the throne of doubt. These doubts are both inflicted and they're inborn. It's, it's absolutely certain that some children are predisposed to doubt the loving, nurturing voices around them. You can spend your whole life trying to reinforce that child with healing, loving grace, but some nagging voice inside says to them, these people don't really love me. Rejection is far more than simply being left out of a club or being chosen last on the playground. It is deep tissue conviction of being superfluous in the universe. More than being just uncared for by some particular person or group, rejection is a deep emotional wound within that leaves a gaping hole, a sense of being unloved, hence unlovable, and unwanted. Rejection is a question, not a statement. And that question is, what is wrong with me? Now, that's actually the crux of the matter, is whether or not something is so basically internally wrong with me that all these people who are pretending to love me and care about me actually only love and care about what I do for them. So I reduce life to a dreadful cycle, a terrifying cycle of performance. When I then impose that backwards on God, that God only loves me when I live right, do right, believe right, go to church right, whatever it is, then I lose my trust in the basic character of God and I reduce my relationship to a terrible terrible cycle of performance. And that is not only toxic, it's very, very depressing. The one, the only one worthy of my full trust is God. I know I can never expect any other to be as perfect as he is, but I must learn to live free of the bitter toxin of constant angry rejection from others that is either real or imagined because 
my new healing is rooted in God's acceptance of me. Restored trust is not reconstructed naivete. In other words, we're not going to base our trust that God loves us on the fact that I'm now doing right, that I'm now living better. I'm not going to make my Christianity into gymnastics lessons. As long as I do good, God loves me. When my trust mechanism is healed, I can doubt my doubts because I trust the scriptures. I trust Ephesians 1.6 to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us, me, accepted in the beloved. If God has made me accepted in Ephesians 1.6, I can now trust the character of God that God will not, in fact, cannot lie to me. Therefore, I'm accepted by God. Second, if I'm accepted by God, I must therefore somehow or another be acceptable. God is not a fool. God cannot accept that which is unacceptable. But I know that I cannot make myself acceptable. So that enters into the second level of trust. And that is, God makes me acceptable. Not only does he accept me, he makes me acceptable. If I'm acceptable to him and accepted by him, who dares to reject me? Third, no one can truly reject someone God has accepted. People simply do not have that power or authority over my life. Nothing they say can cancel God's word. Nothing they do, any judgment against me, is useless in the face of his grace and acceptance. Their rejection has no effect on my acceptance. Fourth, if no one has the authority to reject me, that includes me. I no longer have the power to reject myself. If God has made me acceptable and he has accepted me, I accept his decision. Fifth, I now can accept my whole life and self. My history is mine. I do not have to deny it or wall it off or seal it up or hide it. All of my life, I'm a whole person, able to see my whole life. Hurts, damage, failures are all included. I don't have to be perfect or pretend perfection. I know that by grace, I'm accepted. That is the healing power of grace that unseats the terrible, terrible toxin of rejection. God does not want us to live under the bondage, the flow of, of rejection. I spent a year counseling with a young attorney on the verge of a nervous breakdown. The whole year, every time we talked, all we talked about all I talked to him about was that God is nice. Just that. This man was driven professionally. He was serving a driving God. He was driven in every way. He was driven in terms of holiness of life. He just became convinced somehow that unless he succeeded as an attorney, succeeded as a father, succeeded as a husband, succeeded as a son, succeeded as a Christian, God couldn't love him. We spent a year talking about the fact that God is nice. The word touched his heart. He said, I just never thought of God as nice. I thought of him as holy. 
I thought of him as remote. I thought of him as, as judging. But God is nice. That young attorney's testimony is a testimony of victory. Peace, rest. Rest in a nice God. All this is to say, stay in the process of encountering and accepting God who makes you acceptable and accepts you and frees you from the fear of rejection or from the pain of rejection. Victory is ahead. Stay in the process. God loves you. He cares about you. You are acceptable because he's made you acceptable, and therefore he has accepted you. And if God has accepted you, what power in this universe can reject you? This is Mark Rutland. Thank you for joining me for The Leader's Notebook and this episode of Courage to be Healed. To order a copy of Courage to be Healed for yourself or someone you love, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter the promo code COURAGE for 30% off. To order by the case, please call us at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.